But last week, we did start a brand new series that we're, we're calling New Things, and the series is all about the Bible. It is a focus on setting a foundation for the types of conversations that we're going to be having over the course of this entire year. And so the goal of this series was to talk about the Bible, but really to set a framework so that as we start talking more about the Bible, we're operating it from, from a really uh, helpful, helpful lens. And part of the reason why at the beginning of this year we decided to focus on talking about the Bible is because like we talked about last week, there's more and more data points that are suggesting that we're becoming what is called a biblically illiterate society. And all that means is that there's an increasing percentage of people in this world, of the general population, that is becoming less and less familiar with the principles of the Bible, the truths and the stories of Scripture. And because we're becoming less familiar, the Bible feels more like a stranger than a friend. They're kind of like the person that you see at the office uh, every week. Maybe you see them every day and you pass by them. Maybe you, you know their name. Maybe you know their extension on their phone. Maybe you've got their cell phone number, but you've never actually had a meaningful conversation with that person. You don't know any stories about this person's life. You really don't know anything about them. That's how the Bible feels to a lot of people. It feels like a stranger. And so the goal over this next year is that we would move from seeing the Bible as this thing that we don't quite understand but we know is important to becoming really, really familiar with the stories and the principles and most importantly, the promises that are layered all throughout, all throughout scriptures. And so last week, as we started the study, we asked the question, what is, why is the Bible worth knowing? Why is scripture even worth spending time understanding? And, and the simple answer from last week is that because it was worth knowing to Jesus. It was worth knowing to Jesus, that means it is worth knowing to us. And if you look at the life of Jesus, the pattern in his life was to saturate his life in God's word. He saturated his mind in God's word. He understood God's word. He was so familiar with God's word. And this is how we know because we studied uh, last week uh, in the book of Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus was led into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And every time the devil tried to ask Jesus to do something that he wasn't supposed to do, Jesus responded by quoting scripture. What that means is that Jesus was so familiar with God's word that every time that he was under attack, he had the power to leverage God's promise over the lie that he was being attacked with. And so that's part of the power. And what we learned also along the way uh, is that, and this was according to Jesus' perspective, is that all the Bible points to him. All of scripture points to Jesus. All of the New Testament looks forward to the Messiah that was to come, who is Jesus. And all, did I say the New Testament? All of the Old Testament. Old Testament, first half of the Bible, look toward Jesus. New Testament, look back to Jesus. It was all about Jesus. The Bible is all about him. And so what we said last week is that the Bible is not just worth knowing because we want to know all the stories and the promises. The Bible is worth knowing because it points us to Jesus. The Bible doesn't save us. Jesus does. It leads us into that relationship. And so that's part of how we answer the question. But today, we're asking a different question. We're asking, what is the Bible for? What is the Bible for? And this is a really important question because when you understand what something's purpose is, it determines how you interact with it. I had a friend who told me a story about a time where he was uh, visiting another country and he went to use the bathroom at like a public restaurant and he thought that he was flushing this 
thing that was an odd-shaped toilet only to realize it was a bidet. And so uh, if you understand the mechanics of that, water doesn't go down, water comes up, okay? <laughs> and, uh, and so it was a little bit of a surprise, but all I'm saying is that sometimes uh, if you have the wrong, if you don't understand the purpose of something, uh, it'll lead you to the wrong expectations. Anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> all right? But this is the deal. Sometimes that happens when it comes to the Bible. And so this morning, what we're going to do is, on the first half of this message, we're going to talk about what the Bible is not for. And I may say some things that do not feel right. Just give me a chance to explain before anyone gets upset. Sound good? Awesome. Okay. First thing is, the Bible is not an answer book. The Bible is not an answer book. This is sort of what happens when we think about how we interact with the Bible. A lot of times we have questions about life, and so we go to the Bible like it is sort of a reference book to give us answers to all the questions that we have about our current life circumstances. And I just want to say that that is not wrong to do. That is not necessarily a bad thing. Because oftentimes when you go to the Bible, what you'll find is that it actually does answer a lot of questions that we have about our current set of circumstances. But just because it, doesn't, it is actually helpful doesn't mean that that is what the Bible was written for. That wasn't the purpose of the Bible. Uh, all, a lot of times we will come to the scriptures with important questions about what we're supposed to do about our future, what our purpose is on life, who we should date, what jobs we should take, uh, what city should we live in. All great questions. It's just not the primary purpose of the Bible to answer those questions. And this is how we know that. Because there is a whole section in Scripture that is what we would refer to as Hebrew poetry. It's like the book of Psalms, mainly in the Old Testament, but it's scattered all throughout the Bible. And what's interesting about Hebrew poetry is that oftentimes Hebrew poetry will actually ask more questions than it ever answers. It will ask all these deep questions. And, and they're posing, the authors of these pieces of work are posing these questions to God, not necessarily with the expectation that God is going to answer every single question. It asks questions like, God, how long will you let me suffer in my current state of life? God, how long will you allow for evil to thrive in the world? God, how long will you allow for my enemies to prosper over me? All these deep, important questions, the types of Deep questions that a lot of us probably have for God, but the, the reality is that God does not always answer all of those questions. And so we ask why. Why would the Bible not answer those questions? The reason why, at least in part, is because the Bible does not have a problem with not answering our questions because the, bravo, the Bible does not have a problem with allowing for us to sit in the mystery of our faith. The Bible don't have a problem with that. It's okay allowing for us to sit in the mystery of parts of our faith that we do not fully understand how they work out. And I'm going to even take it one step further. This may sound offensive, okay, but it's not intended to be. It's, I'll, tell, I'll tell you scripture for it. Uh, the Bible low-key tells us that we don't even have the capacity to understand it all. The Bible tells us we don't even have the capacity to understand it all. Someone once said, that if I could understand everything about God, God is really not all that impressive anyways. The prophet Isaiah said that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We low-key don't even have, I'm trying to use young people's words, uh, no, no cap on that. My wife said, do not use those phrases because you don't know what they mean. 
And, uh, and I've said things that we had, to, we had to cut out of a message when we posted it online. But we sometimes don't even understand the world that we live in. We don't, we don't understand the oceans beneath us. We cannot expect that we will fully understand the ways of God. The Bible is not written to be an answer book to all of our questions, even though it answers many of them. Number two, the Bible was not written to cater to our pre-existing beliefs. The Bible was not meant to cater to our pre-existing beliefs. And this is important for you to know. If you have never delved through the Old Testament, and in a few weeks when we all start reading the Bible together, I'm just warning you, there are going to be parts of the Old Testament that will make you feel uncomfortable. There are things that you are going to read in the Old Testament that will not sit well with your modern sensibilities. And you might ask the question, why? Why is it like this? Well, part of the reason why is because the Bible was not written to the Western U.S. context in the 21st century and meant to cater to our modern values and sensibilities. And so what you read may not always feel particularly encouraging. You're going to read about wars in the Old Testament, and you may not understand why they were carried out the way that they were. You're going to read about the way that relationships were organized in the Bible, and it may make you feel uncomfortable. You may not like the dynamics between men and women, but this is just a little bit of a reminder that when you get to those parts of the Bible, remember, wait, the Bible wasn't written to cater to my pre-existing beliefs about the world around me. And so I'm going to give you a little example here just to set you up so that when you come across these, you're going to feel like, hey, I know what this is all about. If you were to read to the book of Genesis... There are going to be these moments and these stories that you come across where you're going to see these men who have many wives, okay? And you're going to be reading through this, and you're going to know it's wrong, but you're going to be looking for a verse where God says that it is specifically wrong to engage in polygamy in the Old Testament. And so you're going to keep reading chapter after chapter, and then finally, you're going to start coming to the conclusion that maybe you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that tells us that polygamy is wrong, you may not find that verse. Now, let me just say this. Some people would argue that God does condemn polygamy in the Old Testament. His, a guy named Robert Alter, he's the professor of Old Testament narrative at Berkeley, and he argues that God does actually condemn polygamy in the Old Testament, but he just does it through the narrative story. He doesn't give you a verse, but what he tells us and he shows us all through the, about these stories in the Old Testament of these men who have many wives is that when you do that, it actually never, ever works out. It didn't work out for any of the kings who did it. It didn't work out for David. It didn't work out for Abraham. It says he's making the case that God tells us that it's wrong to do that because when we read the story, it never works out on their behalf. So in a sense, God does answer that question. But in another sense, he's not trying to answer that question. And so what I'm saying is that sometimes we will feel let down by the Bible if we don't understand its purpose Anyone ever bought a bookshelf from Walmart for your kids? You buy the bookshelf, you put it together, and if you have the expectation that that bookshelf is going to remain stru structurally sound for more than three months, you are going to be let down, okay? Because that is not the case. Now, there's two caveats. One, that may just be us and a reflection of my ability to build a bookshelf, and two, uh, a reflection of the way that our children uh, treat their stuff. 
So what we're saying is that if sometimes you go to the Bible with the expectation for it to be one thing, and at some point you find out that it's not, then I think what has happened for a lot of people is you begin to wonder if you can trust the Bible. You begin to wonder if, uh, if all the things that the Bible said are actually true. Maybe you start to question your faith. And so what we are trying to do on the front end of the conversation before we jump into the Bible is make sure that we understand what the Bible was meant to be. Because the more that we can approach the Bible accurately, the better it will serve our faith. So then the question is, if the Bible is not an answer book, if the Bible is not meant to cater into our modern sensibilities, then what is the Bible written for? Okay, so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The Bible was written to tell God's story so that we can know him and live with him. That is what the Bible was written for. The Bible was written to tell God's story so that we could know him and, that we could, and so that we can live with him. Some people have said that the Bible is God's self-revelation. In other words, it is his autobiography. It was intended to help us understand how God sees the world around him through relationships, through nature, and all the facets of reality. It was us, us taking on God's perspective to the world. And so I want to start by reading an annotated version of the first 10 verses of the Bible, and then we're going to talk about what that tells us about God. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. This is going to feel a little choppy, but we'll explain it on the back end. Genesis, Genesis uh, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 said, And then God said, Let there be light. Verse 5 said, And then God called the light day. Verse 6 said, And God said. Verse 8, And God called. Verse 9, And God said. Verse 10, And God called. So we, you, we kind of spliced this together so that we would uh, pinpoint some important details here. The first and maybe most obvious thing that we get out of the first 10 verses of the Bible is that God is clearly the main character of this story. There is nobody else in this story that you see that is the main character except for God. And so what that means is that we are not the main character. That the Bible wasn't necessarily written to elevate our role in uh, the, the, the world around us. Everything was set, centered around God. The first thing scripture points to in the first 10 verses of this story is that it's all about God. The second thing that we see is that God's word has power. Look at what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that in his words, it caused this, this world and this universe to come into existence. By the simple words of God, everything that at some point did not exist came into existence. And in that process, God gave purpose and meaning and structure and direction to all the physical world that he created in that moment. God's word has power to form new things to create new things, to give purpose and identity and to give function to something that once did not exist. God's word has power. The third thing that we, we see is that God is a God of communication. Look at what it says. It says, God said, and then God called, and then God said, and then God called, and then God said. This is so powerful because what this tells us about God is that he is a God who wants to communicate with us, that he desires in the depth of his heart to reveal who he is to this world through his word. Someone said that it would be like, the Bible is, 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 would be like if someone had 
been recording the deepest thoughts of their life for the last 50 years, and then at some point they handed you the diary, and they said, I want you to know that this is how I think about things in the most personal way. That is what God has done through the Bible. It is this story. God reveals himself through a story. And um, it's possible that if, uh, if I was having a conversation with someone who didn't know me or my family really well and they were asking me a question about my wife, I could communicate uh, facts about my wife to this person. I could say, uh, my wife is a female to begin with. Um, number two is uh, her hair uh, is red. Not, actually, not right now, but that's her, her natural color is red hair. She has uh, bluish, greenish eyes. It kind of depends on the environment that she's in. And, um, and, and I could just go on and on, and I could start telling her stories. I could also start telling her facts about my wife. I'm sorry, I could tell her facts about my wife, or I could start to tell her stories, tell this person stories about my wife. I could tell, her, tell them about how she grew up. I could tell, her, tell them about uh, her childhood experiences and what her life was like in college and the things that bring her joy and the things that break her heart. There's a difference in the way that we could describe someone, but when you tell about someone through story, what you are doing is you're describing someone and who they are in their personhood. Well, that's the way that the Bible is set up to describe God. It is through story. It's not just a bunch of facts. It's not like this rote, dry manual about God. It tells stories about who God is, and, um, and that's powerful. If we look at the way that the Bible is started, it says, in the beginning. It could have easily just have been written, once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when you read the Bible, know that you are reading the story of God. And the point of the Bible, just like any other story, is that you would get caught up in in it. Have you ever been to like a really good movie and all of a sudden there are like these moments in the movie that start pulling at your heartstrings because there's like a connection between you and the character or the way you grew up or the struggles you had and all of a sudden out of nowhere your eyes start leaking in public, right? I kick my kids out of the room anytime I start crying in a movie, which I don't do often, okay? So just watch it. But that's what it looks like to get caught up in a story. Have you guys ever had that favorite TV show that you watch all the time? And then you have like these real life experiences. And as you're having these real life experiences, you start to think about the plot of the TV show and like these certain episodes that tie into the experience that you're having. And then you like talk about those things. It reminds me of like that one time where Michael Scott from The Office walks into the office and he declares bankruptcy. Okay, if you've never seen The Office, it's a jo- I, I was taking a risk there. But that's what it means to get caught up, to get caught up in the story. And that is what our relationship with the Bible is meant to look like, that we start to see our reality through the lens of Scripture. This is what uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated the Message Bible, he wrote this about the Bible. We don't have it up on the screen, so I'm going to have to ask you guys to listen carefully. But he says, this is a text that reveals the sovereign God, all-powerful God. It does not flatter us. It does not seek to please us. We enter this text to meet God as he reveals himself to us, not to look for truth or history or morals that we can use for ourselves. What he insisted upon supremely was that we do not read the Bible 
in order to find out how to get, to God, get God into our lives, to get him to participate in our lives, he says that is backwards. He says if the Bible is about fitting God into our story, then we've got it backwards. It's not about looking at God and saying, how can we get a little bit of God into the things that we already value and the things that we already do? It's about looking to God and allow for the template of God's world and the reality that he's created to impose itself on our world so that it changes the way that we see the world around us. It changes the way that we interact with relationships. It means that we stop trying to make God say what we think he should say. And we start pivoting and reorienting our lives toward God. You may have noticed, okay, we're going to get a little, step on some toes this morning, but in a loving way, all right. You may have noticed that if you are a Democrat, you probably think that Jesus would have been a Democrat too. Some of you, if you are a Republican, you might think that Jesus would have been one too. If you hold one position about the world, you probably assume that God holds that view too. Some of us have inadvertently formed God into our image when the opposite was meant to take place, that we were supposed to get lost in God's story. Eugene Peterson says, if that is the case, then we've got it backwards. And here's an example. And this is a little bit of confession time for me. Uh, But growing up, as I think about my life, I can look back and recognize all of the horrible decisions that I made growing up. And I don't want to even say, like, try to frame it as like these were mistakes or these were like unwise decisions because the reality is that I can look back at my life and see that there were so many decisions that I made that were intentionally intended to hurt other people. I made selfish decisions that broke people's hearts. I've made evil decisions that have set people back in their life. I can look back at those moments. I remember hurting people. I remember hurting my parents, lying to my father, to his faith. And I just feel like even the emotion now of thinking back to like being in my room and my dad sitting me down and asking me a straight question. And I lied to him. And it was just a few minutes later that a police officer showed up to my house and and I got found out. And I can think about a dozen examples in my life of like these really, really evil parts of who I was. And as I reflect, sometimes there's that question that emerges in my mind, like, God, why did you allow for me to be such a toxic and destructive individual, not just in my life, but in the lives of so many other people? I think that sometimes. I'm like, God, why would you have allowed for me to be the source of pain for so many people in my life? But the power of reading God's scripture is that when you come across examples of that in the Bible, it tells you how the story plays out. I think about an example that if you start reading the Bible with us that you'll come across is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and a guy named Lot. And there was this one time where these angels came down to Lot and the villagers in the area came to rape these angels. It was this horrible moment. And instead of protecting these angels, Lot, in all of his wisdom, thinks, well, I'm going to just give these people my daughters so they don't hurt these angels. And you're reading this. And you're like, how did the world become so evil? But this is the problem, is that you will continue reading. And you will get to another section where the same girls that Lot offers up have the idea to get their father drunk so that they could have sex with him to prolong their lineage. 
And you will read over and over again how depraved and broken, how manipulated we have become in this world. And you think, why? Why did God not just wipe out the entire world again when it has gotten that evil? And then you remember the bigger picture of God's story. It's because God has a vision to redeem all things, including us. God is always in the process of redeeming brokenness in the, in the lives of our world and in people's lives. That's why he didn't destroy it. And the same reason why he didn't destroy the world when he saw so much evil taking place is the same reason why he let us live through a season of foolishness in our life. Because he knows that in every situation there is hope for redemption. There is hope for restoration. And I imagine that there are some people that have shown up to this place this morning. Actually, I know it. I know that every single one of us have walked into this room with what we often refer to as a spiritual limp in our life. That there's an area of our life that seems to have a stronghold on us. And oftentimes these areas, are, if you're at church, is that no, are areas that nobody else knows about. And you've come to this place and you keep hoping and believing month after month, week after week, year after year, that at some point God would break you free of this addiction or this stronghold that you have. And you're beginning to lose hope and you're wondering why God has not given up on you. This is the reason why. It's because when God sees you, he is seeing you in the same way that he has seen millions of people who came before you. Someone who thinks that they are without hope but have experienced a breakthrough and a stronghold in their life because of their commitment to God and his love for them. And so to believe that at the deepest level in your heart is what it means to get lost in God's story. You believe the storyline of God so significantly that it is true for your life. The Bible was meant to tell God's story so that it would change us. I'm gonna read one more quote from Eugene Peterson, and this is what it says. It says, in our reading of this book, we come to realize that what we need is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but what we have come to know is that what we need is formational, shaping us into one true being. We don't want to know more. We want to become more. That is what this year is all about at this church. It is not an attempt to know more about the Bible, it is an attempt to become more through his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This year is not about knowing more. It is about becoming more. It is a year of learning about God's story so that we can be transformed by it. The Bible doesn't just inform us, but it shapes us. It corrects us when we are wrong. It directs how we think about the world around us. Why? Because part of the preparation of, 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 of what God is calling us to do is he is first calling us to prepare and to equip ourselves through his word. Someone once said that the Bible is like this master sculptor. And if you know anything about like sculpting or shaping, you always tend to start with this raw piece of material. 
that doesn't look very good, isn't particularly pretty, oftentimes it's rough and ugly looking. But over time, what happens with the sculpture is day after day and week after week, the sculptor has this vision and this image in their mind of what this rough piece of material could become. And so they start the project and slowly what happens is they grab the hammer and the chisel and they just start chipping little pieces off one at a time. Minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, it's just this slow process of forming and shaping in this raw piece of material, this vision that they have for it. At the end of that process, this long drawn out process, what was once this indefinable thing now has become a masterpiece in the eyes of the sculptor. That is what the Bible can do for us. God uses the Bible as a tool to shape us and to guide us and to conform us to this beautiful image that he has for us. And so this is how oftentimes it works. It says when, when we read something in Scripture that feels at odds with our life, that means that it is meant to form us. When we read that gluttony hurts us, or when we see Jesus talking about the pain that lust causes in a person's life, or when he vehemently commands us not to gossip, once we become aware of those expectations, those principles in God's word, we have a choice. And the choice is really a question. Will we let these words shape our lives or will I only apply the parts of the Bible that I already believe are true? God's heart for you is to shape you into something beautiful. And the Bible is an invitation to be made whole again. It's an invitation to step into this process of total heart transformation as over and over again, it'll continue to point us to Jesus. And so that's the heart for this church. Over the next 365 days, that we would each take one step of obedience at a time, allowing for God's word to shape us and to guide us and to form us into something new. So this is how we're gonna do it. Number one, we've gotta make consuming scripture a regular part of our life. We've gotta take steps to start reading the Bible. And so an easy next step for all of us is that you join us in the Bible reading plan. This is just a baby step, okay? For the next two weeks, if this is not a normal rhythm in your life, consider joining the reading plan, engaging with other people in church. You can go to eden.church forward slash fast, and there'll be a button on that page, and you can click it, and then it'll take you uh, to the app that all of us are participating in. That's, that's one step. Number two, at the end of our time of prayer and fasting, we're going to start going through the Bible together. And that's where it's going to start, okay? That's what's going to happen to all of us. All right, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a journey. But that's, that's, that's the process as we start incorporating into our life. Number three, what we're going to start promoting today is our next semester of groups. So we're going to be launching groups. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider getting involved in a group this semester. And what's going to be unique about the groups that we launched this semester is that we're calling them what are we, message-based groups. Thank you, M. Message-based groups. And so what that means is that in our groups, 
we're going to be talking about the things that we talk about on Sundays. So that gives us a chance if there was like this moment where we said something too fast and we didn't quite pick it up or we had more questions about a part of the service that we didn't get a chance to talk about or maybe we feel like we're struggling to figure out how to apply this particular passage to our lives, we're gonna get to do that in community. We're gonna ask questions together. We're gonna share life experiences with one another. We're gonna open up and just say, this is how God's word has impacted me. And what we have seen is that this is some of the most transformative things uh, thing in our church that you can participate in. And so we're gonna start uh, doing that with groups, but prayerfully consider being a part of a group in this upcoming semester. And the reason why we're doing all of this is because it all points to Jesus. It's all taking us back to Jesus. And this is oftentimes a place in our calendar where we ask the question, can people actually change? And the answer is yes, people can change. People can change and we have seen God do it in this place over and over again. And so as we wrap up our time together, I wanna give some of you a chance to make that change, to accept the promise of salvation through a relationship with Jesus. There's some of you that have never done that before and if that's you today, in just a moment, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and I wanna encourage you to take that step of faith in your life. So I'm gonna ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if this morning you want to step into faith for the very first time, you can pray this prayer after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me and walking with me and for sending your word to tell your story so that I can walk with you. This morning I recognize that I need you at a deep level, that there are so many parts of my life that are broken and hurting, and I need you to step in. Today I'm ready to surrender my heart to you and trust that you love me enough to send your son to die on that cross for my sins. Today I'm ready to believe that you can do more with my heart than I can. God, will you give me the strength in the days to come to follow you with my whole heart? In Jesus' name, I believe. I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I'm going to challenge those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to take another step of faith this morning. And we always believe that when we respond to God physically with what he's doing in our hearts spiritually, that it solidifies a moment in our life where we've made a decision to start walking with God. And so in just a moment, on the count of three, if you pray that prayer in your heart, I'm going to ask you to just quickly raise your hand. Don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about anyone else in the room. Every, everyone's head's bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody's looking at you. We're going to ask you to take a step of faith and raise your hand on the count of three. Number one, you didn't show up in this place by accident. There's a reason you came today. Number two, you can't imagine how vast God's love is for you. Whatever you have done, God's love and his grace are so far beyond our measly little sins and can be extinguished by his love. Number three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Any others? If you're tuning in online, I want to encourage you to go ahead and hit the button at the bottom of the screen. Let us know if you made that decision. We have someone who'd love to help you get some resources to grow in your faith. Father, we just thank you every week for what you're doing in this place, that we're entering a new year with a new vision, believing that, God, you have a purpose and a plan for our life. And, God, we don't, 
We don't want to give that vision away because we're distracted with things that at the end of our life we will have regret around. And so God, I pray that your spirit this morning would empower this church to walk with vision for our lives. The vision that you have for us, that we would trust you and see what you produce as a result of that. See the joy that comes as a result of being faithful and obedient to your word. God, we thank you for your love. We pray a blessing over this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you guys do me a favor this morning, and can we celebrate every life that stepped into faith for the first time?